0: 13814567 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's word on this edition of the virtual Bible study.
1: And welcome to the virtual Bible study. We're glad you're with us tonight. We hope you'll stay tuned for the next hour as we enter into an exciting discussion of God's word. We want you to join in on the discussion tonight. You can join in on the program by calling 877 877- toll-free, 877-381-4567, or by emailing us your questions or comments, email questions at collegeview.com to join in on the discussion tonight. We're going to be in front of a live audience soon. I am Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is on his way into the room tonight. And we'll also be joined by Greg Chandler. Greg is conducting our Vacation Bible School for us this week, and we're having a good week of study. That assembly is wrapping up now, and so we expect them in the next few minutes. But we'd like for you to get ready to join in on this listener interactive discussion tonight. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College Hugh Church of Christ. We meet in Columbia, Tennessee. And if you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, tomorrow night at 7 o'clock, we'll be continuing our Vacation Bible School again with Greg Chandler from Athens, Alabama. We're having a good discussion this week studying the family tree of Ahab. And looking into the Old Testament for lessons we can learn about Ahab and about serving God and some of the consequences for failing to serve God as we should. And when Greg Chandler gets here in just a minute, we will be talking some about the Old Testament, our relationship to it, things we can learn and glean from the Old Testament. And we'll also discuss a question that is of interest to some in the religious world. Are we still bound by the teachings of the Old Testament? So we're looking forward to that discussion And we hope that you'll make plans to comment as we get into that discussion tonight. Again, the number to call is 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com are your ways to join in on the discussion. And they're coming in now. And so we'll get them ready here, and we'll start our discussion. I think everything's ready, guys. And so... Welcome to the program. Jacob,
2: good to be with you. Appreciate you getting started before we were able to join in. We've had a good vacation Bible school going on here at uh, uh, College View this week, and Greg Chandler from Athens, Alabama, has been teaching the adult class. And he's been teaching lessons from the Old Testament, especially concentrating on the family of King Ahab, the wicked King Ahab, and all the things that he did and what transpired in his family. The thing that's been really good, too, is that our own teachers here have been preparing material to coincide with what he's been teaching in the adult class, have been taught in the younger classes. Greg, it's been really good to have you with us this week.
3: Thank you. I've really enjoyed being here this week.
1: Thank you for joining us this week. Really had some good lessons. and. Um, You've spent a lot of time in the Old Testament. You see some value in it, no doubt, or else you wouldn't have uh, gotten so deep into studying what God's revealed to us in the Old Testament.
3: Yeah, I think that's right. I've said several times, especially when I have the opportunity to teach younger people about it, kids about it, that really you cannot understand fully the New Testament without having a good understanding of the Old Testament. So much of what we find in the New is built On the prophecies, the promises, the laws that are given in the Old Testament. We see the fulfillment. We see it really as a continuing story. And I I think that's what a lot of people miss in their study is that how when you start at Genesis, while there's a number of books in the Bible, really it's one story, one continuing story about how God is preparing a plan to save mankind from his sins. And certainly the Old Testament fits that pattern.
2: Exactly right. There's a lot of things that, as you mentioned, Greg, we we just couldn't fully understand. Even if we had our New Testament exactly as it is, there are a lot of things that we just wouldn't have information about uh, if we didn't have the Old Testament. We learn a lot about God himself. Uh, from the old testament in hebrews chapter one and verse one the hebrew writer says god who at sundry times and diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets we learn all about god's dealings with people throughout the old testament period and we find a lot about his very basic nature you know you've been teaching us this, this week concerning the family of ahab right there's a classic example of how that god does not tolerate evil he will not abide it and he will ultimately punish those who do not keep his will ahab's family is a great example of that that
3: yeah I think that's right and you look at that and you see that even w- with an understanding of God as wicked as Ahab was when he humbled himself God was still ready to show mercy still after all that he had done still willing to show mercy but uh, when Ahab chose not to continue doing what was right you're exactly correct that he was ready to bring the punishment on
1: let me ask you though. you've talked about some bloody events and some uh, pretty rough dealings that God had with his people I think it's the same God that we serve today. I mean, has he changed his character and his nature, and is he not quite as upset about people doing wrong today? It's interesting that so many people tend to
3: separate the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament, and, and certainly you don't do that. Same God, same God showing the same kind of judgments throughout. You look at the nation of Israel. <clears throat> While there were times, such as with the family of Ahab, that He showed punishment in a very bloody way, as you said. You look at the nation itself. How much mercy did He show to Israel? Really, they should have been struck down there at Mount Sinai when they chose to desert God, to build the golden calf, to worship it. God had full right because they had broken the covenant. But what did He do in His mercy? He allowed them to remain. And you see that continuing on for generation after generation where God will say, If you will turn to Me, We'll forget the past. If you seek my forgiveness, we can go forward with a good relationship. And so certainly the love, the mercy that we see in the New Testament is readily prevalent in the Old as well.
2: Greg, is that is that pretty much how you would approach the question? If someone were to say, you know, I read my Old Testament, and it's so bloody. You know, there's so much bloodshed. We, in our study tonight, we were talking about Jehu as he was God's agent to wipe out basically uh, Uh, ahab's family and it was a large family an extended family and there was a lot of bloodshed do you basically answer people say what about all that bloodiness in the old testament you 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 balance it with the mercy that's also shown
3: yeah i think i think that's right Uh, we tend i think to focus on the punishment of the old testament because well just quite honestly those are some very interesting sections of scripture and we tend to to look at those but yet, you look at the number of times that God is merciful to his people. And although there is bloodshed, although God, yes, does strike people down, it's not without warning. It's not without opportunity to repent. It's not without God saying, this isn't how it ought to be.
2: This isn't the kind of relationship I want. And you know, surely one thing we have to learn from that is this God, the same God we serve, if he, if he, had an ultimate end of his patience his long suffering to those people and brought a brought a horrible punishment upon them then that's the god we face in judgment and and we can expect the same kind of treatment merciful gracious willing to forgive but ultimately will punish those who disobey we've got a question uh... So some of uh, the members are filtering in jacob and uh, arthur's got a question for us
4: well uh... i was just looking at a verse and uh... Malachi three and verse six, when we were talking about it in reference to God changing, He said in verse six, "But I am the Lord; I change not." Oh, that's right,
1: and um, that—that's a scary thought, really, when you think about it, Greg, and uh, the fact that we're dealing with the same God and He has the same uh, the same terror against those who are going to be unfaithful.
3: Yeah, that's right, and it is the same question we face that Adam and Eve faced. Am I going to serve God, or am I going to turn to my own ways? And just as they, just as Ahab, just as all the Bible people, the decision that we make is going to bring about one of two consequences. We are either going to be in God's graces, God's mercy, or else we'll be his enemy. There is no middle ground there. God's made that clear from Genesis through Revelation.
1: We'll be on the same side of the equation that Ahab was on and Jezebel if we're unfaithful. And that's a scary thought.
5: Got another question, Mike? Go ahead. Uh, I'm assuming that what y'all were talking about was some people posed the question, "How can a loving God, you know, punish people?" And I was talking with someone sometime, and I wanted to get your input on it. Uh, they had they had brought this brought up this question. They understood about God punishing like Ahab and Jezebel, but what they questioned was, "What about like all the other people who were punished who weren't maybe direct directly there, there, involved?" There
2: were some in, there were some incidents where women and children. Were punished. That's like
5: uh, Yeah, like uh, was it Achan
2: at Ai? I remember,
5: and God punished the entire the entire family just for you know his sin. And they were asking about you know how could a loving God do that when there weren't people who were I guess quote unquote directly involved in the sin? I was just wondering what what might be the best. Uh... What do you
2: think, Greg? How would you answer that? Basically, the question is when innocence suffered. You know, there were several episodes when King Saul utterly destroyed the Amalekites. That means he killed the children too. What about those kind of episodes?
3: I think that's a good question. I think it's a valid question. I don't think it's an excuse for a lot of people. I think we've got to understand a couple of things. First of all, we rest with the premise God knows what He's doing. But when we think especially about children dying, we think, well, how sad, how how horrible to kill those children. But let's think about that for a minute. Those children would have grown up to be pagans. Those children would have grown up to be idolaters. Yes, it was perhaps not a pleasant way to be taken out, but their soul is safe with God. And I think in that, we were talking about the mercy of God earlier. Certainly we see that mercy being displayed. These children, these innocents, while they may have been taken out of this world, were spared from the worst part of the world to come uh, to me that is that is the explanation that that i would accept to uh, to that to that question
2: basically those who get all bound up with that consideration are are just simply looking at looking at things purely from a this world perspective and as you've pointed out if you look at things from the eternal perspective then that was actually something that acted in their benefit right i think that's a good way to look at it and a good explanation um, you know, in regards to these kind of things, we learn about God, we learn about His nature, we learn about His dealings with mankind. You know, the New Testament makes several references, and I've picked out three in the New Testament, where it says these things, these sort of things are recorded for our benefit. In Romans fifteen five, whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11 says, Now these things happened unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. And Hebrews 10, 28 and 29 says, He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses of how much sore punishment. Suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God. In other words, the New Testament writers said, Learn the lessons of the Old Testament. See how God dealt with people back then. And and be aware and be warned and learn what you
1: ought to do to faithfully and effectively serve God. All right. Let's uh, take a break, and we'll come back. And we'd like to take a call or an email from you at 877-381-4567, or you can send your email to questions at collegeview.com. We'll take a break, and we'll hope to hear from you on the other side. Stay tuned. We'll be back right after this.
0: Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement.
4: Hello, everyone. I'm Wade
0: Shelton, a member of the College View Church of Christ. If you're like me, you've probably heard a lot of rumors about what the Church of Christ is all about. Regardless of what the rumors you may have heard, let me just quickly tell you what we are about. The College View Church of Christ is simply a group of Christians that is committed to doing everything that God has commanded us in exactly the way that he commanded us to do it. So we just simply open our Bibles and study them to determine what God has commanded us to do, and then we try to do it. It's just really that simple. Are you interested in being part of a group of people who have this approach to serving God? If so, I hope you will join me and my family as we worship God with the College View Church of Christ this
4: Sunday at 930 a.m. I'm Arthur Haynes from Kolel, Tennessee, and one of my greatest highlights of the week is to listen to the Virtual Bible Study.
0: We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the Virtual Bible Study. Now, back to the program.
1: Welcome back to the Virtual Bible Study tonight, and we're looking forward to your questions or comments. Questions at collegeview.com, 877-381-4567.
2: Jacob, one of the things that we believe as as Bible believers, we believe that the Old Testament is the inspired Word of God. Uh, we'll, we can talk a little later in the program about the fact that it's not our law today, that we live under the New Testament law of Jesus Christ. But nonetheless, the Old Testament is a book and a writing that was inspired by God. And it is, therefore, uh, important in that regard. Even the New Testament... Uh, mentions the inspiration of the, of the Old Testament. In 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 21, Peter said the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but by, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Peter was talking about the Old Testament. He said it was written by men moved by the Holy Ghost. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning verse 15, Paul says to Timothy, From a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. That's got to be the Old Testament. Timothy would not have had the New Testament as a child. And then he goes on to say, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And, and so he's saying, he's speaking there of inspiration and has reference to Old Testament scriptures. Uh, uh, I think the same principle applies to New Testament scriptures, but he was speaking of the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus himself gave testimony to the inspiration of the Old Testament. Look at a couple passages in Matthew chapter 5, beginning verse 18. Jesus said, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Now, the jot and the tittle, as I understand it, were the small strokes of the pen that constituted the Hebrew alphabet. And we might say it was like crossing the T and dotting the i in the English alphabet when you write uh, The Hebrew alphabet's real complicated. I tried to learn it one time and had to give up it's, uh, but it, 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 letters are distinguished from one another by very slight little changes, little strokes of the of the pen but here in Matthew chapter five verse eighteen. Jesus said that that the slightest strokes of the pen in the writing of the Old Testament were there because God intended them to be there and that they would stand until all was fulfilled. Now, we believe that Jesus fulfilled the old law and replaced it with his New Testament law. But Jesus there is testifying to the fact that the, the very letters, the very form of the letters that constituted the Old Testament were there because God intended them to be there. That's how thorough the inspiration of the Old Testament is and was. In Matthew chapter 22, there's an interesting episode where the Sadducees, who doubted the resurrection, were trying to put Jesus on the spot. And they, uh, they had asked him about a, a man who died and his brother married his wife and went down through seven brothers. You may remember the episode but Jesus, in disproving their false idea that there's no resurrection, said in Matthew 22, verse 32, uh, he said, beginning verse 31, he said, But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Here, Jesus quotes what God said to Moses at the burning bush, recorded in Exodus chapter 3, and verse 6, He said to Moses, God said, now get this, God said to Moses, I am, present tense, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had been dead for centuries at that point in time, and yet God said, I am, present tense, their God, indicating that they still exist, that they have not ceased to exist. They're not living on earth, but their spirit still lives. There is life beyond the grave. Jesus based that entire argument upon the tense of the verb to be. He didn't say, I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He said, I am, present tense, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And on the basis of the tense of a verb, Jesus based his whole argument. Now, what that tells us is Jesus surely believed that the Bible is very literally, the Old Testament was very literally inspired by God. Uh, and 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 we could extend the arguments, but the scriptures certainly make it clear that the old testament was inspired of god now that being the case we would expect it to be free from error if it truly is inspired of god it has to be free of error if it's got errors in it then it's not of god or else we're in big trouble and the bible is, 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 we're we're going to have a horrible time knowing what to believe and what not to believe out of the bible but the bible is free of errors and one of the things i wanted greg chandler to talk to us about tonight is about the historical accuracy of the old testament greg is a history teacher that's that's his craft and uh, he's spent a lot of time studying the history of the old testament and he is in fact teaching that to some of that to us this week in our vacation bible school but greg as you look to the old testament Kind of tell us something about what you understand to be the historical accuracy. It has to be accurate, right? If it's inaccurate, in other words, if we find things that are inaccurate concerning what the Old Testament tells us actually happened, then we've got a big problem. Yeah, I think that's
3: right. Sometimes people who examine the Bible get a little, I guess, disturbed by the fact that there's not a huge amount of science, not a huge amount of history recorded in it, Uh, I think we have to realize that God never intended the Bible to be a science book or a history book. We accept it because God said it's true. With that being said, though, you look at the Old Testament, and it's amazing how much of it will fit hand in glove with the history that we would find in a regular Western Civ textbook. As we go back and we look at the the ancient history on up through uh, the time of the Old Testament, even to the new, how many of the things fit together so well. Uh, Much of what we read about archaeology will support what we find in the Old Testament We don't find people uh, who all of a sudden find something that discredits the Old Testament. It's just the other way around. Uh, Archaeological discoveries will be made, and it's going to to concrete the idea that this is exactly what happened just as God said it would. Uh, I think specifically with that argument uh, about the, the nation of the Hittites, for many, many years... The Hittites supposedly didn't exist. Here was the error in the Bible. No nation of the Hittites. Well, archaeologists continued to dig. Guess what they found? (laughs) They found evidence of the Hittite community. In fact, today, the Hittites are a standard part of a high school textbook on world history. Well, the Bible was correct. There's one of those occasions where someone said, God doesn't know what he's talking about. Here is a book that's just a recording of myths and legends. Once again, though, it was proven accurate. I think as well, uh, as we consider the prophets and the prophecies that were made, so much of what they said and the times that they lived support the the historical aspect. We think about Daniel uh, serving in Nebuchadnezzar's court. We read about him uh, referring to Nebuchadnezzar rebuilding Babylon. Well, there's people who want to put Daniel at a different time period. They say, well, he couldn't have made all of those prophecies. He had to know what had happened. Well, no, his, his book fits right in with the time of Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, we think about our subject this week. Uh, we look at the ancient Assyrian text. There's mention of King Omri of Israel. Uh, there's mention of the fact that he pays tribute. There's mention of the fact that he was a great king who controlled the Moabites. We have the rock that's been excavated on which that, that's stated. And I think so many of those things, so many of the prophecies, and really so many of, of just the facts God include. give us the evidence that these things really happened. They happened in the time period, he said. And these world leaders played a part in it.
2: So. As you said, the Bible's not a history book, not, not intended to be, to be a general history book or a science book either, for that matter. But, for instance, in regard to science, it's not a science book, but wherein it speaks of things that science could either confirm or, or disprove, the, the science always confirms what the Bible has said. Same is true with history. It's not a general history book. It is actually a very specific history of the, of the family of Abraham, and God's dealing with that family of Abraham leading all the way up to the birth of Jesus Christ. But... The history is accurate. It would have to be if God was behind it. We would expect nothing less. Uh, and and not everything is confirmable by archaeological discovery. But wherein archaeologists have found things, they have just always continuously confirmed the Bible account. There, there's not been any uh, any archaeological verifiable archaeological discovery that has ever contradicted. A biblical historical reference. It's also true about the geography. As that history unfolds, some geography is told. And, and the geography bears up with, with uh, the lay of the land, so to speak.
3: Yeah, that's exactly right. You, you look at these places and continually, what are archaeologists finding? This was the settlement that was mentioned in this particular place and uh, sometimes we know the names may get a little confusing, but yet if enough research and study is done, it's going to bear out uh, that these places did exist, and there typically is proof that they were there.
1: What about the prophetic accuracy? You mentioned uh, some prophecy tonight that uh, was very very, very telling. What about the prophetic accuracy of the Old Testament? To me, that is
3: absolutely amazing. I think specifically... Well, two things. First of all, with the prophet Isaiah and the prophet Jeremiah, who mention by name that King Cyrus is going to lead the people out of captivity, going to release them from captivity. We think about that. Cyrus wasn't born. His father wasn't born. His grandfather wasn't born. Years and years, centuries before he comes along. But yet God knows him by name. If if we were trying to create a book just simply to deceive people, I don't think we would get that specific. We would try to to make it very general, almost like a fortune cookie, where, where anything could fit into it. I think as well, the prophecies about Jesus Christ are absolutely tremendous. The name of the city where he's going to be born. If you and I wanted to fool somebody and we said, well, in, in 300 years the President of the United States will come from... We would probably do better saying Los Angeles or or New York City or Washington, D.C., places with big populations. We wouldn't choose a tiny little community. But, yeah, what does Micah the prophet say? He's going to be born in Bethlehem, Epaphra, In fact, two Bethlehems, and he narrows it down to the specific. We think about the virgin birth being prophesied. We think about the type of death he would die. We think about how he would die. Dying between two wicked men, buried in a rich man's tomb. Why would a prophet who's trying to deceive us specifically make those arguments? Why not generalize so that we could fit anything into that? Again, it shows us how amazing the Bible is and how verifiable those
2: prophecies are. Uh, I think you made an interesting point. You know, uh, every New Year's, some of these uh, people who claim to have insights into the future will make predictions about what's going to happen you and they're real vague i mean they they you know a movie star is going to get a divorce and marry somebody else this year well no kidding you know how often does that happen and but they make these real vague predictions as you say they can find some fulfillment some semblance of a fulfillment because their their guesses have been so vague but in the case of bible prophecy it's so specific and again, always accurately fulfilled. And that's got to be, of course, one of the great proofs of what we were talking about earlier, that the Bible is absolutely the inspired Word of God. I've got an email coming in. Uh, Jacob,
1: maybe you can read it easier than I can from where you're at. All right, this email is from Carol. She says, Remember the prophet Hijah's prophecy concerning Jeroboam's son in First Kings 14, verse 13. He is the only one belonging to Jeroboam who will be buried because he is the only one of the house of Jeroboam in whom the Lord, the God of Israel, has found anything good. I.e., it was an act of God's mercy sparing the son of what would come to his father's house. Isaiah 57, verses 1 and 2, brings harmony here. The righteous perish, and no one ponders it in his heart. Devout men are taken away, and no one understands that the righteous are taken away to be spared evil. Um, You also saw uh, Psalms 12, verse 1, Ezekiel 21, verse 3, Isaiah 42, 25, 2 Kings 22, 20, and Micah 7, verse 2. And so uh, interesting comments there about, uh, you know, God showing mercy to those who are innocent, even though um, there may be some uh, evil that befalls them.
2: Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that harmonizes very closely with what Greg was saying earlier. Uh, You know, one of the things we have to acknowledge is that uh, in this life, not in not in eternity, but in this life, innocent people often suffer from the sins of others. That has always been the case, and it continues to be true even today. Innocent people suffer uh, from the sins that others commit. Uh, someplace, not far from here tonight, probably someone's going to be run over by a drunk driver and seriously hurt or killed uh there's a case that they didn't do anything wrong the man who drank and drank and then got out and drove his car he's the sinner but the innocent suffer that's always been so and so we just have to acknowledge that's a reality of life in the present world it just happens we just have to look to the
1: cross to find out that that's a reality and uh, something that god that, allows that's the ultimate example obviously yeah exactly right one more break and uh We'll take, we'll come back, we'll take a comment uh, from our audience, and we'll take a comment from you, hopefully, at 877 381 questions at collegeview.com. Thank you, Carol, for your comments and for listening to the program tonight. Stay tuned the Virtual Bible Study. We'll continue right after this.
0: After these important messages, we'll be back to take your
6: comments. Email them during this break. Hello, everyone. I'm Monty, a member of the College View Church of Christ. So you've been hearing all about the College View Church of Christ on the Virtual Bible Study and are interested in finding out more about the church. But you live hundreds of miles away from Columbia, Tennessee, and can't come and visit with the congregation to find out more. There's no reason to fear. After all, we live in the 21st century. Here's what you can do to find out more about the College View Church of Christ. First, why don't you check out our website while you're listening to the Virtual Bible Study. You'll find important information about the church there, including bulletin articles there on various subjects, and can even listen to sermons that have been presented at the College View Church in the past. Secondly, if you have questions about the church or about any Bible teaching, why don't you send an email to us and let us know how we can help. Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. That address, once again, is questions at collegeview.com. We can even have a personal Bible study with you over email if you desire. And finally, if you would rather talk with someone in person, give us a call at 931-381-4567. That's 931-381-4567. You can call this number any time. If you don't get an answer, leave a message and we'll call you back as soon as we can. We're glad you're listening to the Virtual Bible Study and hope to hear from you soon.
4: Hi, my name is Mike Holt. My wife and I, we love listening to the Virtual Bible Study
0: broadcasting around the world with truth that are out of this world the virtual bible study take it away guys
4: welcome back to
1: the virtual bible study tonight this is a listener interactive program we're welcoming your emails or your calls tonight we're talking with greg chandler from athens alabama about the old testament and its meaning to us today in the new testament era that we live in the number to call is 877-381-4567 the email address you use is questions at college you.com we have a question a question or comment i guess out in the audience tonight, Arthur, go ahead.
4: Uh, we were talking about a little earlier about uh, the Bible not being a history book, but there are some things revealed in the Bible that uh, man didn't know for a number of years, and that being in Job, Job the 26th chapter in verse seven, it says it stretches out of the north over the empty place and hangeth the earth upon nothing. And I've understood that you know in time past it. Uh, People even thought that Hercules supported the earth, or as a great fish, it supported the earth. But in time to come, man realized that the earth was round and that God really did hang the earth on nothing. And also in Job 38 chapter and verse 16, he talks about asking Job as he entered the spring springs of the sea. And this is something it also that uh, those who, uh, uh, Sh- uh, ships and all, didn't know nothing about, the people didn't know nothing about the sh- springs of the sea until later years when they found out that there were springs of the sea and they used these in the, the use of ships on the sea.
1: All right. I appreciate those uh, observations. You know, it's interesting that uh, those Revelations were made at a time when people didn't understand that they actually thought something different about the things that were mentioned, and so if the Bible wasn't inspired, then those misunderstandings would certainly have made them their way into the Bible. They wouldn't have made correct observations about things they misunderstood. That's right. I
2: think that that's the that's the key. You know, uh, sometimes we call this scientific foreknowledge exposed in the Bible. Uh, the Bible is accurate scientifically. It's not intended to be a science book, but it is. And especially we, here, we think about some of the things as Arthur was just reading from the Old Testament. The Old Testament's not a science book; it wasn't written for that purpose. But if it's from God, then you would expect it to be true to what science will, will has and will discover, and and that is the case. Now, think about it as you were just mentioning, Jacob. If if men on their own had written the Bible then they would have brought in the unlearned, superstitious views that existed in the, in the times in which the Bible was written. Uh, you know, and we know that throughout the ages there have been just what we now regard to be silly ideas that were held in common belief. As Arthur said, how the earth was suspended. Men believed that there must be something holding it up. Uh, but the Bible never said anything like that. Uh, I, I remember reading where at one time the, the considered opinion of those who were supposed to be knowledgeable of such things is that men came forth from little white worms that crawled out of the Nile River and turned into men. Uh, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible never said anything like that at all. But, I mean, you could just multiply the examples. Greg, you might have some examples of others that you've heard of, of superstitious views that would have been included in the Bible if men were just writing it on their own. Yeah, I think so. Uh,
3: it, it's interesting, as you look at the Bible, the sophistication of it. It It is above typically what the unlearned pagan world would have observed. And, and certainly what's been mentioned would be the case. I think the Greek mythology uh, example is, is very relevant to this. Here, the Greeks were, to be, were considered the most enlightened, uh, and still to some extent they are. We, we talk about that era uh, of, of being such a time of learning. But what is mythology? What's literature to us? That was their religious belief. And we look at that, all the superstitions, all of the, the idea of multiple gods who grew angry as we do, who had human emotions, who had flaws. We don't find any of that coming into the Bible anywhere. We see a God who is supreme, a God who is above man, but yet condescends to understand never do we see a writer trying to create a god in man's image as we see with the, the mythological characters of the great time period especially
1: exactly and, right. and those weren't just funny stories they were making up that's the best that they could do that's, that's right that was what they really thought was the explanation to the world that we live in so yeah they
2: had, but but it conveys their superstition their lack of learning is conveyed in the fact that that's what they had to come up with they didn't they didn't know better now Think of some of the Bible writers. Why didn't they do the same thing? Well, the reason they didn't, they would have on their own, but the reason they didn't is because God was guiding their process.
1: Again, we're welcoming your call at 877-381-4567 or your email with a question or comment at questions at com. Mike, you have a question or comment.
5: Yeah, um, one of the things that's always impressed upon me about the Bible is how God has always used, not always, but a majority of the time used people that if men were writing that that person would not have been selected to carry out God's plan. You know, even if you think about Jesus, as Greg pointed out, being born in Bethlehem, but not only that, the savior of the entire world being born in a manger and being laid in a, in a feeding trough is not exactly how you would think that, you know, the, the greatest person to have ever, you know, lived on this earth would come into the earth, uh, and things like that. Even when David was appointed king, remember, uh, you know, all of Jesse's sons were there, but David was not even thought to you know be that. And God said, you know, go go get him. You know, the person does not even look like it. However, if man was to write it, you know, we would look on the outer on the outer person and say, oh, well, you know, this person is big and strong, therefore he deserves to be king and leader, or you know, he has a lot of money or wealth or something like that. Even the apostles were, you know, quote unquote, unlearned men. You know, in, in Acts, you know, many times they were saying, you know, these people are ignorant and unlearned, and here they are, you know, talking about this. I think that's one of the strongest, at least in my opinion, is one of the strongest uh, uh, arguments for
2: the I, I agree, and that, that that's compelling when you stop to think about it. It just absolutely disproves the possibility that men did it on their own.
1: All right. We have a question or an email from Don in Nashville. Don has a comment about mistakes in the Bible. 2 Kings chapter 25, verse 27, and Jeremiah 52, verse 31 are almost identical, except one verse says the 7th and 20th day, while the other verse says the 5th and 20th day. Is this a mistake by the scribes, or were there different ways of counting days? How would one explain this to an atheist who is trying to prove that the Bible doesn't have mistakes? You're turning there, Dad, in your Bible, I uh, assume, uh, to Second Kings chapter yeah. 25. I'll yeah. have t- Jeremiah 52 ready for you. Okay,
2: Second Kings 25 and verse 27 says, um, And it came to pass in the seventh and thirtieth year of the captivity of Jehoiachin king of Judah, in the twelfth month, on the seventh and twentieth day of the month, that evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the in the year that he began to reign, did lift up the head of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, out of prison. So he says that happened on the seventh and twentieth day of the month. Now what we got? All right
1: over in Jeremiah fifty-two verse thirty-one, and it came to pass in the seventh and thirtieth year of the captivity of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, in the twelfth month, in the five and twentieth day of the month, that evil. Melodoch, king of Babylon, in the first year of his reign, lifted up the head of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and brought him out of prison. All right. Do you have any comments about that, Greg? Off the top of your head?
2: <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I think, you know, um, a man named Haley wrote a, a book that can still consider to be sort of a classic reference work, alleged discrepancies of the bible and he deals with a lot of, of these kinds of things and i think probably the answer is that that was a scribal error perhaps that they just missed it when they were copying remember of course that the bible was copied for centuries literal centuries uh, uh, well, over over 2,000 years, actually, the Bible was copied by hand. To get a copy of it, you made a handwritten copy. And there's, there's a possibility that on some of those passages like that, that's just full of numbers and dates, that there could have been a scribal error, and then it got picked up and was carried on. I, I think that's a legitimate answer. And I don't really think that shakes our faith in the accuracy of the Bible, but it is something that some people will jump on to try and make a point.
3: Yeah, I think that's right. You look at these men who were copying through the centuries... They are not inspired. And so they would be very much as likely as we would to look at a number and perhaps transpose the numbers, look at it one way. I think what we need to do is back up and say, look at the themes of the Bible. Do we find any major contradictions there? Yeah, there may be a time or two where numbers are not lining up specifically. But yet for a book to have been written over as many centuries by as many writers as the Bible was, and they're all together on theme,
2: they're all together on purpose, uh, I think we have to take a look at that as well. You know, typically when, and Don is saying, how do I answer an atheist? who says, ha, I found a mistake in the Bible. You know... I think, and I don't mean to be, you know, flippant about this, but I think probably a good answer would be: Is that the best you can do? You know, you found one place which could be easily explained as a scribe's error. Uh, that's the best you can do. That's the best contradiction you can find in the Bible. You know, that that's understandable. That's explainable. Uh, but as you say, the truths, the the real truths of the Scripture. Are, are, are without contradiction, and so you know uh, you might find a number like, and they're very honestly, it's amazing that the incidents are as rare as they are. There, there are more. You can find some others like that, but they're not many, um, and it's it's really amazing that they are so few, and that likely speaks to God's providential care in preserving this book and bringing it forward through the centuries so that it is preserved for our use today. The the, the Bible as a whole is more uh, confirmed by way of the manuscript evidence that supports it than any book of antiquity. I mean, it's not even close. Uh, you, you think about uh, uh, the, uh, Homer's work, The Odyssey and the Iliad. I think there's four or five manuscripts of that that date back so far, and yet no one disputes that it's been carried forward accurately to today. There's hundreds and thousands of manuscripts of the Bible that confirm its accurate transmission to today. And so uh, you know we, we've got real reason to believe that we've got a legitimate and accurate copy of what God wanted us to read. Yeah, I think it's interesting as
3: well if you look at even history books. uh, I I read a number of them, and it is not rare at all for a historian to say, well, the man writing about this in the late 1800s missed this fact. He got this fact wrong, and, and new research has brought that out. Do we ever read Paul saying that about Samuel, saying that about Isaiah, saying, well, they didn't understand fully. They they missed it, and I've got to straighten things out now. It fits together seamlessly, and I believe that's testimony as well, that the number of writers, none of them seeking to make a name for themselves, none
1: of them trying to highlight mistakes of others because there were no mistakes to highlight. Exactly right. Well, Don, thank you for stumping us tonight, and uh, you've prompted me to want to do some more research on that, so uh, we'll hopefully be digging a little deeper into that, but appreciate your email tonight.
2: Yeah, and it may be that that's, I mean, we can look deeper, but it may very well be that that's the best answer that that anyone can come up with on on a case like that. And as I say, there are... um, uh, some other incidents or episodes like that where you might find a slight difference in the numbers the years the months the days that are conveyed but it's interesting that that's that's the only place that the skeptics have to go that's that's what they've got to attack that's that's the best they can come up with and it's pretty weak charge at best uh that I might reference again that book I mentioned, Haley's Alleged Discrepancies of the Bible. And it's a standard reference work. It's been around for a long time, and uh, it, it deals with a lot of those kinds of, of things specifically.
1: I think your copy of that's on loan at my house Yeah, right I think now. you got my copy. Uh, all right. All right, we're going to take one more break. 877-381-4567. Questions at com. When we get back, we'll go to the top of the hour with your questions or comments. Stay tuned. The Virtual Bible Study continues after this.
0: Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The Virtual Bible Study will be right back after this.
7: I'm Tom Goodall, a member of College View Church of Christ. Do you have a question about what has been said on the virtual Bible study tonight? Perhaps you disagree with something that was said or would just like more information about what you've heard. If so, we'd love to hear from you. Please contact us with any questions or comments that you might have. Email us at questions at and we can discuss any of your questions or comments with you privately or over email. Or if you would like to speak with someone in person, call us at 931-381-4567. Our promise to you is that we'll do our very best to give you a Bible answer for anything that we do or teach and that we will do so in a loving manner. So if you have any questions or comments about our program tonight or any Bible subject, email us at questions at collegeview.com or call 931-381-4567. Thanks for listening to tonight's virtual Bible study, and we hope to hear from you soon.
1: Hello, my name's Jeffrey Vernon, I'm 13, and this is the Virtual Bible Study. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor
0: forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The virtual Bible study continues.
1: All right, welcome back to the program. We're talking with Greg Chandler, who is holding our Vacation Bible School this week, and we've enjoyed his lessons. One more lesson to go tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. We hope you'll make plans to join us if you're in the area. We'd like for you to join in on the discussion tonight as we talk about the Old Testament, its relevance to us, its inspired nature, how the Bible shows us from the way that it is written, how it is inspired from God. We'd like to hear from you. eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven 381 4567 Questions at collegeview.com. Arthur. Mike
2: Smith, what were you saying oh about uh, the unique nature of the Bible?
4: Uh, yes. Um, recently, in some lessons we had here at College View was pointing out that The Bible was written by about 40 men. We aren't exactly sure if it's 41 or 42 because there are
2: some books that we aren't sure who they were written, such as Hebrews. But it was written by about 40 men over a period of about 1,500 years. And the Bible is so amazingly, its it's, continuity is amazing um, and it's complete. And that uh, should be an amazing proof that it is um, the, the word of God. You know, if you get forty men to agree about anything, you're doing an amazing thing. Uh, some of us have had the experience of sitting in business church business meetings, trying to get forty men in a church business meeting to agree about anything is a huge task. And here you've got these forty Bible writers who wrote over a long period of time. Most of them did not know. Any of the others, some of them did. There were some who had acquaintance, but most of them didn't even know each other. They lived in different times, different places, spoke different languages. And yet when you put their finished work together, it's free of contradiction. That's amazing. That just could not possibly have happened without God's guidance. I think you're exactly right, Mike.
1: alright eight one four five six seven. Jump on the phone or send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Well, uh, yeah, Don, uh, in reference to Don's email, Don, we've uh, done a little bit of searching on the Internet. Don't have anything conclusive for you yet, but it does look like there may be an explanation also in a, perhaps a different calendar being used and, therefore, a different uh, reference there, referencing two different calendars would come up with potentially two different days of the month there. Depending on which calendar you were using, we'll still continue to do some more research on that, but that is a potential explanation.
2: One of the things that we could mention about the Old Testament is that the, the scriptures tell us that a pattern is established in the Old Testament that serves as a, a sort of a shadow of how things were to be in the new. In the book of Hebrews, beginning chapter 6, the Hebrew writer says, Hebrews 9, verse 6, Now these things were thus ordained. The priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone, once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing which was a figure for the time then prison in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the surface perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which ston- stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to stay not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. That's one reference from the book of Hebrews and others could be cited that that draw on that old testament example of how the sacrifices were made how the priest offered the sacrifices how there was limited access into the holy uh, holiest of holies and uh, you know, very restrictive and repeated sacrifices necessary and then we come to the new testament which christ once offered his blood as a sacrifice for all and entered into the very presence of God to serve as our high priest. Uh, There's this real symbolism there that we wouldn't even, Greg, you said this earlier, we would not even understand the reference if we didn't study the Old Testament.
3: Yeah, that's right. You think about where Paul says, Christ is our Passover. (laughs) Now, without an Old Testament background, that's going to be meaningless to us. We're going to have no knowledge of it. Uh, Christ being uh, called the perfect lamb. We go back and we reference the fact that a sacrificial lamb had to be spotless without broken bone. So many of those things that we see point us to what the new testament is teaching and and again I, I think we've got to have that
2: background to have a full grasp on the new you know i've i've heard christians who'd say oh we study in the old Testament. why are we wasting our time studying the old testament well just for these reasons that we've just mentioned it's a it's an important it's a necessary study you are not a thorough bible student if you have not spent time studying your old testament and you as we said you're going to have a great difficulty understanding significant references in the New Testament if you have not studied your Old Testament.
1: And, you know, we really couldn't understand, as we talked about earlier, the judgment of God. We don't really see any judgment of God in the the New Testament. All that understanding of how God judges has to come from the Old Testament. It's prophesied in the New Testament, warned against, but we don't see the fulfillment of that. And so we wouldn't have any any reference uh, as we talk about uh, God and uh, his judgment. We have an email coming in. We read, It is interesting how science and archaeology walk hand in hand in supporting each other in, in verifying the accuracy of the Bible. Science is a study to find and prove the unknown. Archaeology is a study to find and prove the known. Through the centuries, they have been working together to come to the same conclusion of the accuracy of the Bible and its contents.
2: All right, interesting. I think that's a good statement. I think it's exactly right, that both Bible and arch- the Bible has been confirmed by both science and archaeology, And, uh, you know, if you thought of a book written that long ago, you know, the the oldest parts of our Bible are 3,500 years old. The newest parts of our Bible are nearly 2,000 years old. And you think about a book that was written that long ago and made reference to things that science could either confirm or deny, you would guess, you would be taking bets probably that, oh, yeah, that, that book will be easily disproved. And yet it's not, and so that's an, uh, an amazing sign of its inspiration. I think our, our emailer is exactly right.
1: You know, it also highlights the fact that it is uh, a very a uh, very uh, dangerous thing to try and harmonize the Bible with science. So when science contradicts the Bible, we should never try and bend the Bible to harmonize with science. And that's been done in the past, and, uh, and we need to be careful. And be there are hungry. people still
2: trying to do it, and the yeah. problem is science, science is, a, is a shaky foundation because it's constantly changing. And if if you try to compromise the Bible to, to make it harmonize with science today, you better be careful because science tomorrow will be different than it is today, and then you've lost your footing altogether. We've got just a few minutes left, and one point that we've got to emphasize before we end our study about the Old Testament, about the importance of studying the Old Testament, about the great historical truths and accuracy of the Old Testament... Uh, but the lessons we learn about God, his dealings with mankind, and all of that that we've discussed tonight and as we've been studying throughout this week in our Vacation Bible School. We can't leave the study without emphasizing that it is not our law today. This is a point that I, I think many of our listeners probably think, well, yeah, we know that. We've been taught that. But, you know, that is a point generally misunderstood in the religious world altogether. And so we've got to be ready to defend the truth that says... The Old
1: Testament is the inspired word of God, but it's not our law today. And if we understand the Old Testament fully, uh, Greg, it's easy for us to come to that conclusion. The Old Testament prophesies the fact of when the time would come when it would, would pass away, and we see that fulfillment in the New Testament.
3: Sure, I think that's right, because you see that God intended that law for a specific time, a specific group. And, again, as you say, the fact that God made reference, that one day it would be fulfilled, that it would have served its purpose and make way for the new, uh, certainly for the one who studies the Bible and its completeness, could come to that point very easily.
1: It doesn't do anything to diminish what we learned in the Old Testament. We just see the change in the law and the change of what we're required uh, for today.
2: In the book of Hebrews, chapter 8, verse 7, the Hebrew writer says, If that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. Uh, I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every one his neighbor and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Here the Hebrew writer is quoting Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah in the Old Testament. I believe it's chapter 31, isn't it, Arthur? Where he made the prophecy of this new covenant that was to come. So as you said, Jacob, the Old Testament itself predicted the end of that law and of that time. Uh, There are a couple passages that I think are very good uh, in the New Testament to show that the Old Testament, as a law, has been abolished. The one I like probably best of all is in Colossians chapter 2. And in Colossians chapter 2, at verse 14, Paul speaks of the blotting out of handwriting of ordinances that was contrary to us uh, that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. So here Paul references some kind of handwritten ordinances which were nailed to the cross of Jesus. Now he does not leave us to, to wonder what he's talking about because in verse 16 he says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. Since Jesus nailed certain laws to the cross, we are not expected to be responsible for keeping... Dietary restrictions of the Old Testament, the holy days of the Old Testament, the feast days of the Old Testament, or the Sabbath day of the Old Testament. It's interesting that the Sabbath there, the observance of the Sabbath was one of the Ten Commandments, the fourth commandment to to be specific, and we're not expected to keep that and we're not to be judged by it. Jesus nailed that to his cross, and I think that passage very clearly shows that the Old Testament, all of it, including the Ten Commandments, have been taken away, and they're not our law today. Now, that really stirs a lot of people up when you say the Ten Commandments are abolished, but we emphasize that the principle of nine of those Ten Commandments, they're either specifically restated in the New Testament, or at least the principles are restated in the New Testament, with the exception of the fourth, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy.
1: All right. Quickly, we have two more emails to get in before the top of the hour. Wade from the metropolis of Hampshire, Tennessee, says, What interests me is people like John Wycliffe, who suffered through many years of toil and persecution and finally produced an English translation of the Bible. He was killed because of it. The Bible manuscripts and translators have been through a lot of toil just to have copies of the manuscripts intact for us today. God's providence shows that he is a God that can save his will for all of us these years.
2: If you think about that, that's exactly right. If, if it's from God, we believe there's every evidence that it is, then it would necessarily be preserved." Preserved. God would see to it that it's preserved. If God went to the trouble of making it, he wouldn't let it be wiped out. And there have been, there've been efforts to wipe it out, but they've never succeeded, and God's providential preservation of the Bible is in
1: evidence. We have another email from Don in Nashville. He said, based on what has been mentioned, that the Bible is a continuing story, that the New Testament cannot be understood without the Old Testament, and that all Scripture is the inspired Word of God, do you think it is a bad idea for some denominations to refer to themselves as New Testament churches? Go ahead,
3: Greg. Certainly not. Uh, We know that the church was established as a New Testament entity. Uh, We find that God in his new plan uh, developed this pattern of local churches that we did not find under the old law. And so even though we look to the old law for moral guidance, we look to it for the valuable lessons, we understand that there are new things presented in the New Testament with that being one of them.
1: That's right. All right. Well, I think our time is about up. Let's uh, remind our listeners about the upcoming assembly tomorrow night at 7 o'clock, Dan.
2: That's right. Our Vacation Bible School concludes tomorrow night. Greg Chandler, uh, Lord willing, will bring us one more lesson sort of summarizing the moral truths. Greg, you might tell us a little bit about what you plan to do tomorrow night.
3: Yeah, so far this week, we've examined the, the Bible account of the family of Ahab. And tomorrow night, I want us to wrap that up. We'll be looking... ...at the life and death of Athaliah. But for the majority of our time, we're going to be looking at principles that we learn... What can we learn about parents who don't train their kids right? What can we learn about choosing the wrong person to marry? What can we learn when we turn completely away from God to idols? Those will be the kinds of things that we'll be focusing on.
1: We're looking forward to it. Thank you for joining us tonight thank on the you. program. Thank you. it. All right, Dad, thanks for the time tonight.
2: It's been a good study, and we've had a really good week. Greg Chandler, thank you for your work this week. It's been excellent, and we've really benefited from it. It's been a good week here at College View.
1: It certainly has. We hope you'll take a minute to join us next or tomorrow night at 7 o'clock for the final uh, meeting of our Vacation Bible School. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. We hope you make plans to be back here next week. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study his inspired word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it.